You definitely realize the higher up you get that nobody fully knows exactly what they're doing all the time. Nobody really knows. And and in a lot of situations I've learned too, you just make the best decision you can with the information you have and the experience you have. And maybe it's not always the right decision, but you just, you gotta keep making decisions. Hey Lead Hers, welcome to the Lead Her Lessons podcast, a place where I speak to women from all walks of life about business, leadership, family, and what it means to live a Lead Her lifestyle. So whether you're in the car, at the gym, or anywhere in between, listen up. It's time for a lesson. Hey guys, welcome back. I am so excited to share today's interview with you. I am sitting down with Robin Malcolm. She is a graduate of both NYU and Columbia University, and she is now a managing editor at HuffPost in New York City. And today we discuss everything from why removing the word sorry from your vocabulary at work is so important to the tips that Robin has in the art of negotiating a raise to get what you deserve. So without further ado, guys, here it is, my interview with Robin Malcolm. Welcome, Robin. I'm so excited to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. All right. Well, so before we jump in to kind of the meat and bones, I would love for you just to kind of give us a little background on you, your childhood growing up, kind of how you got from little girl to big New York Times. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I'm originally from Atlanta. Uh, I went to NYU. Uh, I Graduated from there in 2011, and um, I had done several internships while I was at NYU, all in journalism. I'd majored in journalism. I actually had a double major in environmental studies, but um, I knew I wanted to do journalism the whole time. And so when I graduated, I got a job at a small financial news startup as an editor. Um, Didn't pay a ton. It was in Newark, New Jersey, which is like an hour and 15 minutes away, so I was commuting. Um, I had a friend who had a job at HuffPost. We knew each other through NYU. Ended up getting a job there after about a year and a half uh, at the financial startup. I was done with that, went to HuffPost, and um, yeah, I've been there for the last five and a half years. So So for those people who are maybe confused, HuffPost, formerly known as Huffington Post, went through kind of a rebranding. So talk about, were you with them prior to that rebranding? Yeah, so Ariana Huffington started the Huffington Post, Mm -hmm. um, and I came on board several years after the company had started. It was already pretty established. It had been purchased by AOL, um, so we had a corporate parent at that point. Um, Ariana left about a year year ago, I would say. Um, We got a new editor-in-chief. Her name is Lydia. She's from the New York Times. Really love her. And... After Lydia came on board, we changed the name from the Huffington Post to just HuffPost. Right. I know that that's what people were kind of referring to it anyway, so I think it made sense. Yeah. So kind of just to backtrack a little bit, you're from Atlanta, Mm -hmm. grew up in Georgia, and you moved to New York, New York City from Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta, you know, is a city, but nothing like New York City. So kind of tell us the story of that transition and maybe was there a specific moment where you were like, okay, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Like this is New York City. Um, yeah, I I had wanted to move to New York for a few years. I was in high school. I didn't really have any. I mean, I didn't have any family up there. I didn't know anybody up there. I really was just became obsessed with this idea of getting into NYU and living in New York. So when I got into school there, I got a scholarship. So my parents were like 
okay, I guess you can go. Right. Um, thrilled with that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went. Um, you know, it was definitely a culture shock at first. People up there are a lot. They're harsher. They're more direct. Um, I think I've become more direct, and I think it's it's been fine. I mean, you know, the it works for me up there. I really I like it up there. I like the culture. I really like the women. I feel like the women there are very driven and smart, mm-hmm. and um, I have great friends. And just for if you're in journalism, the career opportunities there are amazing. Sure. So um, yeah, I mean, it certainly was a big jump. I've been there for ten years now, which is what the, wow, it's yeah, been that long. They jokingly say that if you've been in New York for ten years, you're a real New Yorker, right? Um, you made it. So ten yeah, years. yeah, um, and it's a big joke in my friends of friends and family that I just convince people to move up there who I love instead of ever coming back so I have uh, my then my then boyfriend now husband lives up there I have a best friend um, from summer camp who lives up there so we have so a little you're group native. like you're just feeling like New York City that's yeah I mean I'll always love Atlanta and I'm I love coming here and mm-hmm. um, I love like the values and culture that I had growing up here sure um, but yeah I really love New York too they're yeah. they're both fantastic places absolutely so going into kind of your role at, at HuffPost, you're a managing editor, so you're in charge of about 11 people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What did you do to stand out, to put yourself above the rest, whether it was a resume or in your interview or your work? What did you do to kind of make yourself stand out? Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely think for journalism, the best thing if you do want to start out in it is internships. You have to kind of Start with that, um, work really hard at those, get good recommendations, make connections. Um, So that's how I and many others would suggest getting your foot in the door at all. As far as at HuffPost kind of climbing the ranks, so I started as just a member of this team, Mm -hmm. the editing desk. Um, You know, it's working a little later than everybody else. It's volunteering to work some of those holidays. It's uh, going the extra mile for the story. And I see that as a manager, too, now that I have been promoted through, you know, the people that I'm more inclined. And it's not just about how long you're physically in the office. It's just people who are very dedicated, very passionate, want to be there, Mm -hmm. um, see this as their career, not just a job. It's really just that passion and dedication that makes you The willing to sacrifice in certain areas and and do the things that maybe not be, might not be in your job description, but things you're willing to go the extra mile and show that, absolutely. So now that you are kind of also in charge of hiring people, Mm -hmm. what are some things that you've seen, good and bad, in interviews that maybe one thing that you're like yes this is great people should do this more and one thing you're like never do that (laughs) um yeah i do hire i've hired several people over the years i hire people who are editing so they're not reporting so one of the biggest things i'm looking for in interviews is people who genuinely want to edit and they're not seeing us as a stepping stone to a reporting job that's specific advice to my team but um you know yeah generally i want to see I want to see that they're passionate about journalism, which is evidenced by their major or their work history. You know, I don't hire anybody entry level, so I'm looking for some work history. Um, I'm not necessarily looking for you worked at the biggest or fanciest news outlet. Like if you've worked at small places and you've hustled, I'm very excited to see that. Um, So I would encourage people not to be discouraged if you don't think you have like a big star name. At least for me, I'm not, that's not necessarily what I'm looking for. Um, Yeah, so I would say you know, passion, excitement, they want to be editing, um, they have some experience, they can talk about some successes, so you definitely want to come in prepared to say, here are some great stories I worked on, um, here's how they did, they got, I mean, you don't necessarily need 
off the top of your head the hard numbers, but if it was a popular story on the site, saying that, something like that. Um, yeah, so I'm definitely looking for passion for the field, experience, and we do an edit test, so they will have to shine on the edit test, of course, um, which is really useful and I think important too, just because I've thought a lot about, as I do hire more and more, just uh, you know bias in how I might like someone maybe because she reminds me of me, mm-hmm. and that's not the best person always to hire. Sure. Um, and it's really important to build, it's very important to me to build a diverse team, especially in media, that's a huge issue. Yes. Um, so I really am trying to create that diverse group of people that will be the best team. And so, yeah, the skills test is nice because then it's really just on them to show me. It's not about how, whether I like them or not. Right. You know, if someone knocks it out of the park on the skills test and their experience maybe isn't exactly the exact background, I would I would still go for it. Right. So. I think that's a big thing for people to pull out and realize from what you just said is you don't always have to have all the accolades and be mm-hmm. at the biggest, baddest thing. If you're good at what you do and you have confidence in what you do, I think that that a lot of times will show through. Yeah, it does. That's awesome. So kind of transitioning a little bit into the things you've done recently. So you um, were recently a part in September of the um, Listen to America tour. You got to go around a few different cities mm-hmm. and speak to people just about what's going on in their lives today. So talk to us a little bit about what that was like. Was there anything that you learned that you weren't expecting to learn? Yeah. um, So the Listen to America tour is a project that HuffPost did. It was a seven-week bus tour across the U.S. Uh, We stopped at 25 different cities. um, And, yeah, we rented a big uh, music tour-style bus and had it branded with HuffPost. And so we rode across. We didn't sleep on the bus. We slept in hotels. But But you felt like rock stars. (laughs) Yeah, we were kind of like rock stars. Um, And, yeah, at every city we set up – an event where we did short interviews with local people about whatever's on their mind. So, um, yeah, it was very eye-opening. I went to several of the cities, um, kind of Detroit, kind of the upper, I don't know, Rust Belt kind of area, and then I was a little bit in, not really the southeast, but Charleston, um, West Virginia, Charlotte, North Carolina, so that kind of area as well. Um, Yeah, it was, I learned a lot. It was very interesting. The biggest surprise to me was honestly that people – did not want to talk about national politics. They wanted to talk about local issues. They were very interested in talking about their personal story or what was personally affecting their local community. So um, in Asheville, North Carolina, they were several women told us about how there are, in rural areas, a lot of their labor and delivery wards have closed. And so women have to travel very far to have a baby or get prenatal care Um, so that came up a lot so it was just something that necessarily I wouldn't have heard of I don't live in that area I didn't know that was an issue there you know Detroit a lot about gentrification Mm -hmm. Um, everywhere a lot about the opioid crisis so yeah and um, it was really yeah I just I was I was pleasantly surprised at how open people were Mm -hmm. with welcoming us into their communities because you know, these are very people who may not even be fans of HuffPost. Um, right. Or just the media in general. Or the media in general. We yeah. got a lot less, I was surprised too, a lot less backlash on, I was expecting some people to come in for their interview and this just be their chance to kind of like tell me what Give they think. Give it to think. you. Yeah. yeah. And really nobody did that. It was really that people wanted to talk about their local issue, their local community, try to raise awareness. Um, you know, we stopped in Charlottesville, which was, we talked a lot about the rally and how people were feeling and how they wanted to move on and that was like 
each community just kind of had their own yeah their own thing Mm -hmm. um so it was it was an amazing experience it was very eye-opening I really enjoyed it I can imagine that is interesting because I think a lot nowadays in today's climate with everything that's been going on I feel like a lot of times I've spoke to people and it's like gosh every time I turn on the news there's some new tragedy or natural Mm -hmm. disaster and regardless of what you're doing whether you're in the media or maybe you work for a nonprofit or whatever the case may be I feel like at in the past year there's been a point for almost every person I've talked to that they're kind of like man this is hard you know like what is the point of what I'm doing like Mm -hmm. it seems like no matter which way you go it feels can be feel like you're not making a difference have you had a moment like that and if so what would your advice be to people who might be feeling that way I mean, yeah, it's, the last year has been so hard working in the media. It's dark. It's depressing. You know, I would say self-care is very important. If you need a day or a week and you just need to turn off the news. I mean, I can't do that because I work in the news. Right. But if you don't work in the news, I think that's completely fine. Just yeah. take a break. Let yourself, like, not look at it. Um, you know, and I, as depressing as things are, I mean, I'm definitely still hopeful for the future. I don't think, like, that... I mean, I hope this is not the end. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's really hard and it's really dark, and I completely understand that. I would say take breaks, take care of yourself, um, and when you can come back to it, um, you know, try to come back with perspective. But yeah, it is. I mean, unquestionably, it's a very dark time, at right. least from my perspective. Right. Um, and well, like you said, with everything going on, especially for women. Yeah. Women in business right now. I mean, gosh it's sad that it's taken this long for all these things to come out so you know you are a woman in the media you have been around I'm sure a lot of different um, situations Mm -hmm. have you ever felt like your voice was dampened because you were a woman or did you ever feel like you didn't speak up because you were a woman and if so what did you learn from that and how have you kind of grown in your confidence yeah I mean as far as the first question, yes. I mean, I definitely have felt at times like, I mean, literally last week, you know, I've been talked over in meetings. I've had, you know, the term mansplaining. I've yes. had, I had, I mean, two weeks ago, someone mansplained just a very basic concept to me. It was laughable and he did it in front of an entire meeting. Oh my God. Um, and I, at the end was just like, yes, I know what that is. Like, right. this is not my first day in journalism. Like, right. Jesus. <laughs> um, but so yes, it definitely happens and it happens to everybody. Um, as far as like build, I, I do think I've gotten better over the years about, I mean, Robin five years ago would never have come back at that guy during the meeting and said, yes, I'm aware of what that is. Right. You know, so I think it's completely fine to stand up for yourself. Um, it's really nice that as more women become aware of these issues, it's like I've seen in meetings if someone does that to another woman, you know, other women and even men in the room will be like, oh, she wasn't done talking. Like, let her finish, which is really nice to see. Sure. Um, so I'm appreciating that the tide is kind of changing on that. But yeah, I mean, it's speaking up for yourself. It's I, the biggest thing, too, is just I've learned to I mean, I don't apologize for anything. I don't apologize before I ask a question. Um, I don't you know, I don't say I think I say I know. So mm-hmm. uh, when you want to say something, you just say you don't say I think this story isn't working. You say this story isn't working. I mean, I'm a professional. I know the answer. I know it's not working. Right. You know, so um, learning to not qualify. I think especially as women and as much as I love the South, I think Southern women are really taught to be deferential, sweet. You know, the the attributes that you're taught as a Southern woman are 
kindness, gentleness, grace. Um, and honestly, in the corporate world, a lot of those attributes don't really help. I yeah. think being strong, being pissed off. I don't care. I had someone the other day say we were disagreeing about a story and he said, well, it's not you. Everybody loves you. And I was like, I don't really care if everybody likes me right. or loves me. I don't care. Like, that's not what this is that's about. That's not what this is about, you know? But the old me would have been like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, you know, right. because, everyone loves me. Yeah. I just, you know, you got to let go of the idea, especially the higher up you climb in management. Like, they're not going to all love you, you right. know? Especially when you're people's boss. Like, you have to make tough calls. And that's just, that's just kind of part of it. It's, it's you want to be respected. You don't need to be loved. Right. So was there anything, you think it's just been time, over time you've been able to get to this point, or was there anything specifically that you did to kind of go from, you know, someone who would have been like, oh, that's so sweet, to someone's like, I don't care? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it is just over time. Mm -hmm. And watching, I mean, I get a lot from, like, watching other women who I respect in meetings. Mm -hmm. So what I used to do... Um, you know, I would watch my boss and watch how she reacted. And maybe if you don't like your boss and in your some other situation, watch another woman and watch how she reacts in a meeting and then kind of try to mirror. If you like her behavior, you see her doing well, you see others respecting her. Um, so, yeah, I kind of got it from like mimicking other women. I mean, HuffPost has a lot of women in leadership, which is really amazing. So I can watch all these sure. women and see how they behave. Um, so yeah, I definitely got it from just watching and mirroring other women. Um, but over time, yeah, it really is a conscious effort to stop saying sorry and stop introducing my ideas with I think. Um, that's, Those are two really big points because I yeah. think that as women, you know, especially I am a Southern woman, I find myself apologizing before I ask a question like, I'm sorry, this might seem yeah. X, Y, Z, but just that already is going to put that seed into that person's mind. Yeah. So just, yeah. yes. Oh, I mean. Get rid of I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sorry. Literally yesterday, Jeff and I, my husband met with a financial advisor and they had all these documents and he works in finance. So he kind of knew what was going on. And at the beginning of the meeting, like I wasn't asking any questions and I was kind of like embarrassed because I don't necessarily know. And finally, I was just like, you know what? No, that, this is this is stupid. I need to ask whatever I ask, want to ask. And I didn't apologize. And I just was very like okay well what is this number what is this fee tell me what's going on right and it's just exactly yeah I mean just a little context text her husband is in financial yeah. services so he you know yeah it can imagine to be a little intimidating but then you're like you know what I need to know yeah just tell me I'm gonna learn yeah and like it's my money that they're that Talking they're managing right. so I need to know what's happening right yeah so this is interesting because um I, I think it was like six months ago I had the news on and they did a, a piece where they were talking to Ariana Huffington and she was talking about nap rooms. Yeah. Is that something that they've incorporated into the newsroom? We do have nap rooms at HuffPost. Um, so do you use them? Like, tell I, me about this. I use them occasionally. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one nice thing about Ariana's legacy is, yeah, she's very passionate about um, rest, realizing when you're burnt out, um, taking a break. And I do... You know, as a manager, I do encourage my employees to take all their vacation days. I mean, I take all of my vacation days a year. Um, so, yeah, rest, recharging. I mean, it's especially important, like we were talking about in the news. Like, you just need a break, and it's fine to take a break. It's really hard to have work-life balance when you work in the news because yes. it's consistent. Yeah, and especially when you're so passionate. You know, I'm so passionate about what's happening and bringing people information, and so – I, I will just get swept up in something like there's a hurricane and we're covering it all weekend and I just 
don't sleep and I'm so excited and I want to get people the news and then you finally realize you know I need to feed myself and take a break and um, yeah so I really try to encourage that just everyone rest take a break when you need to take a break on the team everybody kind of taking care of each other if they need to swap in and out but yeah I I definitely I think work-life balance is incredibly important I also think it's great as a young person to kick ass when you can sure um, you there's know, a time before. and a place yeah yeah so I have definitely had periods in my life of not a lot of work-life balance and it certainly paid off right. um, but yeah the older I get I do realize that you just can't go on forever at 100 out of 100 pace like you need to sometimes take there rest. are seasons in life when working really hard and being super dedicated pays off but, you know, you can't maintain that pace yeah. because, you know, what they say is you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah, exactly. So is there anything specifically that you make a point to do, whether it's daily or weekly for self-care? Um, I exercise. I read books. I um, watch Netflix. So, yeah. What are I you mean, loving on Netflix right now? Oh, uh, we I have not finished Stranger Things season two. So okay. we are in the middle of that. Everyone um, keeps talking to me about Stranger Things. I have not watched it yet. it's good you gotta see it right. it's great <laughs> I'll have to check in on that one yeah so going back to when you were kind of working your way up one thing that you had mentioned to me is that you feel like you've had really good success with negotiating raises yeah and I think again as women a lot of times especially if you have um, a male superior it can be intimidating mm-hmm. so talk to me a little bit about what your strategies have been and maybe what a conversation with a superior would look like to start negotiations yeah so um I have had solid success with that over the years. Um, I am very a big advocate, especially of women, you know, asking for raises, pushing for what you think you deserve. Um, I would say the best advice that I have is, well, I have a couple of pieces of advice. Don't ask for a percentage of your current salary because that will always limit you, right? So if you're always asking for 10% of your salary, just ask for a number. Ask for 10,000 more, 5,000 more. Okay. Um, My other piece of advice that I learned actually from a great blog called Ask a Manager is give your pitch, right, for why you deserve a raise, what you've done in the past, what you'll be doing in the future. Give your number, right? I want 10,000 more. And then don't talk. Don't say anything because you will be very tempted, especially as a woman, to then start apologizing and say, oh, you know, it's not, it's not that I don't think others deserve it. I'm trying to be a team player. You know, no. Say, I deserve 10,000 more. Don't talk. <laughs> That's Let them it. respond. Let them respond. And it is so hard. But like that seems to really, you know, work. And, you know, you're not going to get it every time. Don't be discouraged if someone says no. Um, the other thing I have learned is that there is power in – in the threat to leave. So, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's fine to take interviews with other companies, you know, look around at what's out there. You need to take care of yourself. Sure. Um, so take those interviews, see what the other options are so that you understand that you're being paid fairly. And if you're not, ask for more. And if you get a better offer, take it or bring it to your current company and say, I have this offer. Can you match it? And if they can't match it, you can leave. And that's okay. Um, So, yeah, I definitely think being willing, especially at a young age, I have not hopped around that much as much as others, but I definitely, I don't, I don't know. I I know that older generations were very, you kind of get your company, you stick with it. And I think loyalty is wonderful and very important. Um, But I also think it's really okay to consider what else is out there and not feel bad about it. And I think that's a big way too, to jump your salary. Absolutely. That's great advice. I think a lot of times, 
we get stuck in saying, okay, well, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll, they'll realize the work that I'm doing, but no. a lot of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you have to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. No one else is going to, no one wants your dream as much as you do. Yeah. So you got to find a way to, yeah. to make it happen. Um, and also ask for more than you think you want. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. So like ask for, I would say like 35% more than you actually think you want. Just because you want to give wiggle room wiggle to room, go back and forth. Definitely. And you'll also be like, they're never going to believe I actually want this number. Like they're going to know that it's, a, it's not, I want less. And they don't. They'll, right. You know. So. so you give yourself room just yeah. in case that, ha- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I wanted to ask you about, and this was a big one, is one thing that you do, you write headlines and you write tweets. Mm-hmm. And in today's world, I mean, everyone has the atten- attention span of what a goldfish. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so let's say there's uh, someone out there who is starting a business and they're trying to come up with their marketing strategies and whether they're looking for a blurb on a sign or uh, as just something that'll catch an eye as someone scrolling, mm-hmm. what would be your best advice or what are some things that you do to kind of have that perfect little blurb? Yeah, my headline tips are um, start to notice your own patterns. So whatever you click on on Facebook or whatever you click on on Twitter, whatever kind of interests you, um, and then I would try to mimic that pattern. Uh, The best thing to do with headlines generally is to be very direct, get people. We don't do clickbait headlines that are kind of like, you'll never believe what happens next. Like We don't do that anymore. Um, Try to really get the point of the story into the headline. And the other thing that works really well for us at HuffPost is trying to elicit some kind of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can entice people by exciting them or upsetting them or just kind of, and especially with Facebook, it's not just the headline, you're really creating a whole package. So it's the headline, the little blurb that you see underneath the headline, there's yep. a blurb under the photo, and then there's the photo. So you're really trying to make this enticing package for people that it all works together those four elements and they're going to have an emotion and an interest and a reason to click um yeah so you know we i also do think and i don't know how much this applies to like marketing uh copy or whatever but you know we brainstorm a lot of our headlines i think it's really good to kind of run these ideas by other people because you can really get the ball rolling and people will work together. So if you are, yeah, if you're trying to create, say, like a Facebook post for your small business, um, I would definitely do it in a group if you can, rather than doing it solo to see what other people have. Because once you start rolling off of each other with the brainstorming, it's a lot more effective. Right. I mean, three minds are better than one. Yeah. You can bounce ideas and because, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to have, even though maybe you have the vision, maybe everyone's not seeing it the way you're seeing mm-hmm. it. So yeah. finding a way to have other people's opinions, that's really great advice. Uh, so speaking of headlines, um, I just was reading. So Robin just went to Vietnam recently. So tell us about you got a grant to mm-hmm. go to Vietnam. What made you want to tell this story? Tell them about kind of what that process looked like and then, you know, the story itself. Yeah. So um, we I, I got this grant from Columbia Journalism School where I did my master's um, and it was a grant to travel and report any story you want. It was very open ended. Um, I became really interested in, uh, we have some friends in Vietnam, so I was really interested in trying to find a story I could do in Vietnam. 
Um, I had a limited amount of time because what a lot of people do with this grant is they just kind of go to a country, they figure out the story when they get there. Um, because I already work full time, I have limited vacation days, I kind of needed to go in with a plan. Sure. Um, I ended up finding out, we had for a long time at HuffPost a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter who wrote about uh, veterans issues. And so I was talking to him, his name's David Wood. Um, and I became interested in this idea of kind of like recovery from a traumatic experience, um, how people do that, how they get over it. Um, and so I ended up finding this group called Veterans for Peace. They take uh, Vietnam veterans back on tours of the country. Uh, it's sometimes people who have been before since the war and sometimes people who have never been back since they left as you know a 19-year-old soldier. Um, and yeah, so I ended up going for several days with a group that was touring the country, uh, a Veterans for Peace group. And it's not just veterans, it's also um, anti-war activists from the 60s. So basically anybody who was very much like impacted or touched by the Vietnam War and sure. still kind of maybe feels like they have unfinished business mm -hmm. with it. So I traveled with them, I interviewed them. It was an amazing experience. Um, yeah, our group included uh, a woman named Kathy Wilkerson, who was very well known at the time. She blew up her dad's townhouse accidentally in the village. So I was reading that and I was like, whoa. And it was so yeah. interesting because in the story you did, you have photos with her and she does not look like, you know, I, know. I mean, she's an older woman now, but still I was like, wow. Yeah, she, she does not look like she's, she's bombing <laughs> houses. Yeah, she, um, no, she was great. She was very interesting. Um, so I interviewed her. There was a guy there who was a draft dodger and kind of felt some survivor guilt about his choice and was trying to reconcile with that. Um, there was, you know, there was a veteran there who he was traveling with the tour. He lives in Vietnam now. So we talked a lot about why he came back to live. He'd married a Vietnamese woman, mm -hmm. which is really wild. Um, so yeah, it was an amazing story and I loved reporting it. You know, <clears throat> being a foreign correspondent would be amazing, but it is so hard. It's really hard to be dropped somewhere and not speak the language and not know where anything is and trying to figure out what you're doing. And I ha had hired a photographer and that was really helpful because he knew the area and, um, knew the culture but he you know I felt like it was so obvious the whole time that I was this amateur but um you know I but still had a okay. great time you still went for it yeah yeah I yeah. think that's something that a lot of times especially women fear gets yeah. in the way of doing something that they want to do they know they can do but they're scared to do it yeah so just that's so awesome that you just felt like okay this is something I want to do and even though there might be fear there maybe I don't know what I'm doing I don't know the language blah blah, blah. you still went for it yeah so to that point what do you think is something that women in the business world can do now to help women in 10 years? Oh, man. Um, I would say if you have any kind of senior position and you are a woman, I think – so there are two different there's, – there's mentorship, which is where you – talk to a woman you help her maybe you meet with her you have coffee with her you talk about your career there's another type of mentorship that um, is sponsorship and that's when you have someone maybe that you is kind of your protege you push for raises for them you push for promotions for them you pull them along on the chain because you believe in them sure. so I would say if you have the power to be a sponsor to someone be a sponsor um, if you need a sponsor seek out a sponsor for yourself too. right so what are that's a that's a question that I want to ask you because I think a lot of times you're like, oh, you know, there's this woman and she's so amazing and I want to learn from her, but she probably doesn't have time for me. And if you have a mentor, what steps did you take to acquire that mentorship? I don't necessarily have a single mentor, but I do think um, 
you know, anytime I'm interested in a, a woman at my office and I'm impressed by her, I absolutely ask her to lunch and I buy her lunch mm-hmm. and we talk through lunch about what she's doing, what she's working on. I've made great connections and friends at work through that um, with women I admire. So, so you've noticed that most of the time they're receptive. Oh, they're super receptive. And I don't think as many people, you you think, oh my gosh, she, you know, she's this new woman at HuffPost. She's so cool and talented. Like everyone's probably asking her to lunch. They're probably not, you mm-hmm. know? So um, yeah, I, and some sometimes if it's like a very senior woman, it's like, okay, we'll get a lunch date and it's two months out, but you just wait for two months for your lunch date and then you have it. Um, but yeah, I think that's really important. And then the same thing back, like once people are asking you for that, do that, have the coffee chat with them, have lunch with them, mentor them, help them. You know, I've looked at resumes. Um, so I do think it's really important. I mean, for women and men, you just, just do it for others. It, the way that other people have helped you out. Absolutely. Yeah. And also realizing that not everyone is competition. Yeah. I think a lot of times you think, oh, well, I've learned these secrets and this is what's got made me successful. If I share it, then, you know, oh, they might surpass me. But realizing there's so much power in sharing with others and what you give out, you're going to get back. Oh, yeah. And two, I mean, when you're when you're growing maybe someone who's like your second in command, you want to realize too that by having a strong person ready to step into your role, that enables the company to see you, they can easily pluck you out and elevate you, right? So like I could be elevated to another role, I have someone ready to step into my role. Yes. And that's important. So it's not it's not competition, it's really just succession planning as you get older, you want to think about where you're going next and who's going to fill your shoes to make it easy for you to go to that next step. Absolutely, that is a great way to think about it. So just to kind of wrap things up, um, I guess if you're looking at the whole picture of your career thus far, if you could go back and talk to 21-year-old Robin, what would you say? Um, I mean, things have worked out for Robin in her 20s. Um, I would say probably don't be so hard on yourself. you know, I think 21-year-old Robin would have been in college, and I went to NYU. I had a very different college experience than a lot of people. Um, I was definitely not as – I was just working really hard, so I was uh, interning all the time. I was also nannying, which was exhausting, and I was going to school full-time. Wow. So, um, you know, I would probably tell 21-year-old Robin maybe to have a little more fun. Yeah. <laughs> and just, like, relax because um, – things will work out uh yeah I think 21 year old Robin maybe wasn't as like fun as she could have been right relaxed as she could have been um so even though having a goal and having a focus is so important take the time to have the moments because you know you're 21 yeah and and that's really okay I probably would have told 21 year old Robin to chill out to chill out (laughs) that's awesome the future for Robin what do you see in the future I know that you want to teach and you want to potentially write a book yeah so tell me a little bit about like what does the future look like for Robin so I definitely see myself in news for at least the next um, I don't know many years of my life like I would love to keep working in a newsroom I want to keep rising through the ranks I mean I love what I'm doing now so I'm leading the copy desk at HuffPost um, so I'll do that for as long as I can and but I definitely see myself in a newsroom Um, eventually like long long term I'd love to teach journalism Mm -hmm. as maybe like my second life second career later in life Um, I'd love to write a book um, a nonfiction book Uh, so yeah eventually I'd love to write and teach but for now yeah I definitely see myself in a newsroom for a while Um, it's just such a journalism is such a cool career I love it it's 
it's like you learn every day. I never feel bored. Um, and of course, there are days where I don't want to go into work. I'm tired, whatever. But, you know, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. And that it shows because not only in just talking with you, but in your work, too. Oh, thanks. So you guys should definitely go check her out. And just it's been so great to talk to you. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you for having me. Hey, friends, if you liked this interview and you want to hear more, go subscribe to the Lead Her Lessons podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, leave me a rating and review. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So share this episode with your friends and I'll catch you on the next one.